0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network
3: Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Dustin Wilson, Master Sommelier and Proprietor of Verve Wine in New York City. We'll talk about wines, restaurants, retail, the movies, and a lot of other stuff. We'll taste a 2012 Umbrian Chardonnay blend from Italy for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. It's not often we have a master sommelier, movie star, educator, importer, distributor, winemaker, and retailer visit us, (laughs) let alone one person. Dustin Wilson has his hand in all of that, and we're going to talk to him about it. But currently, he's trying to change the way you buy wine, and we'll get into that too. Welcome to the show, Dustin. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here on The Great <laughs> Nation. All right, I usually want to get my guest oriented with my listeners oriented with the guests. So I want you to tell us a little about your journey in life and wine that got you yeah. to where you are currently, which is. Verve Wine in New York City. Sure. So bring me all the you way want to go back all the way to back. Baltimore. Way back. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, cool. So, I mean, I guess I should preface it by saying uh, I, I didn't grow up in a wine family at all. Um, my The extent of my wine drinking, um, you know, prior to you know, falling in love with it, I guess, was uh, I had a few sips on my mom's Franzia White Zinfandel oh, out of the fridge, you know, back in the day. So I guess you could say, you know, we I, I, wine was not around when I was younger, so it wasn't like a a thing that I was kind of brought into, um, at least not in, in that world. So I, I came to wine via restaurants, um, and I worked in restaurants ever since I could start working, um, starting off with a uh, a job at a sub shop near my near my house, um, you know, making cheesesteaks, flipping burgers, that kind of thing when I was like 14, 15 years old. And um, you know stayed in that in that field for a while uh just through school and um you know waited tables pretty much did everything waited tables uh, worked in the back of the house washed dishes uh, busboy uh, bartender you name it um did pretty much everything in a, in a restaurant capacity and I think uh, maybe it was my experience doing all those different things back then that kind of led me to want to do lots of different things in the wine world. Eventually, uh, I'm well, actually just putting keep, that together right now. <laughs> you wouldn't keep going if you didn't like it, <laughs> right? But uh, but I guess back then I really enjoyed the um, you know knowing all the various aspects of a restaurant. Um, so now I guess putting in perspective, it's nice to know
3: these various aspects of the wine world, but. Um, Well, you're not the first guest we've had that is a very wine-driven guest, but also makes the case that hospitality and... The whole restaurant thing is equally as important. It's totally important. And you came I mean, up that way. To, before you even, you haven't even told us when you got into wine yet.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the hospitality thing, we I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on that more later, but I think that, that drives so much of, of everything, really. I think True. Any, any business that's interacting with people um, should in, in have some sort of hospitality driver involved.
3: Uh, so when was that moment but, that you uh, realized wine was a well, happening thing?
1: Yeah, so it was when I was working at a, a steakhouse in Maryland, um, where I grew up in Baltimore. Was it A steakhouse it or a was famous a Ruth's one? Chris Steakhouse? Oh, okay, so yeah,
3: it's pretty. Um,
1: place. Yeah, I remember getting the job there, and um, at the time, I knew nothing about wine, and you know, I didn't realize I was going to get into wine at all. But I just wanted to work there because it was a somewhat nice restaurant and it had a reputation of being higher end in Baltimore. And at this point in time too, I, I knew nothing of restaurants really other than these guys uh, did a good job. People dressed up and went there and spent a lot of money and you know, you could make good tips. So, and they
3: always had a good steakhouse wine list.
1: Right. Probably exactly. a lot of
3: California, a lot of California cab,
1: a lot of Bordeaux, right. uh, a lot of your kind of bigger brand, uh, California wines for sure. Parker wines. Correct. And uh, you know, this was uh this was late 90s. So, so what happens?
3: You start tasting stuff there?
1: Well, you know, there was no sommeliers on the floor. Um, I was a server. So you had to kind of get to know the wine list to a certain Self-taught. extent. It was It was a 400, 500 selection list. Wow. Um, and I knew nothing. So I had to figure it out a little bit. So I would speak with some of the more senior servers there. And um, they did a couple tastings for me. And then uh, from there, it turned into buying wine on my spare time and getting some books and reading about it. Wine for Dummies was my first book.
3: Um, It worked. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) It worked. We'll get in later why it worked. But when you were drinking and tasting wine, you realized this is some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. This is interesting.
1: It was really interesting because I just thought like Chardonnay was Chardonnay. And I didn't really understand why some bottles on the list were $50 and others were $3,000. You know, it didn't make any sense to me. So uh, I found it to be fascinating. And then the more I dug into it, the more I I realized I had no idea. And it just became almost like an obsession for a while.
3: So how long was that your Uh, tenure at that steakhouse?
1: The steakhouse? I I think I was there for about three years. Oh, that
3: Almost three years. Yeah. So by the Um, time you left, you were self-taught, tasted through. Yeah. You know, I, well,
1: you know, remind Reminded the, uh, the the perspective that I had was that you know big Napa steakhouse wines. This was the epitome of of wine
3: drinking. It was the time, um, the place, and the type of totally, restaurant. Yeah, too.
1: so it was. I was all about Opus One and Schaefer and like these wines that you know they're they're good wines. They Jordan was a big steakhouse. Jordan, wine. we crushed some Jordan. Right. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> funny. Mondavi for days, right. you know that kind of stuff. So, um, you know. Uh, I, I thought I knew a little bit, you know, and uh, I, I, I wouldn't say I was cocky, but I, I was like, all right, I got this thing. I kind of so you're it.
3: you're ready to move,
1: and uh, yeah. So this was right around the same time um, I was planning to move to Colorado, and uh, the reason I wanted to move to Colorado is because I like to ski, and uh, I wanted to live out there for a little bit of time. Uh, spend a year or two and just kind of goof off, ski so as you much would as possible. build
3: what you were going to do around the skiing. Correct. Not a career and I'll ski on the side. Correct. Ski this was and then
1: supposed to be just like a, you know, uh, I guess younger people now would do like a, around. Gap or a gap year. A gap year. Okay. <laughs> I think a gap there, there
3: wasn't really a name for it. Honestly, then for I think me. a gap year sounds a little more thought out than your plan. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: This was like I like to ski. I'm young. I want to just go ski for a while and goof off. And, and you uh, knew Colorado.
3: I wanted to go to Colorado. Was the wine so thing in your mind? Like maybe I could do some wine. Originally,
1: stuff it wasn't until I started getting into it at the steakhouse, and then um, when when it came time to move, I was like, you know, it would be cool to keep going with this, with this wine thing, right? Um, and actually, before I moved out there. I, I'd gotten to the point with wine where I liked it enough. I, I started taking a wine course up in, uh, in Philadelphia at the restaurant school Walnut Hill. It was through the uh, International Sommelier Guild. And um, it was a great kind of introductory course. Anyway, so when I, I moved out to Colorado, I landed in, uh, in Boulder is where I was living and uh, looking for a job. And Great I, town.
3: Great town. My oldest son, Benjamin, graduated from there.
1: It's one of my absolute favorite places leave. on the planet.
3: Uh, he skied I, 80 times a semester. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. That's, yeah, I don't know why I So left. you get to Boulder, <laughs> and I, I think this is going to lead to the obvious place.
1: Yeah, so, well, I got there, and I, again, I didn't really have a frame of reference for restaurants. I wasn't like a foodie type. I wasn't a restaurant guide and re- grew up in that world. So um, I didn't really know where to look. I just knew I wanted a job at a restaurant that... Uh, Preferably was dinner focused so I could be there in the evening and ski during the day and uh, that had a nice wine list. Those are my two kind of prerequisites for a job. And uh, as I was looking around town and, and uh, checking places out, doing some research onto you know, the what restaurants were, were good, um, somebody recommended Frosca Food and Wine. Bingo. There it is. And uh, I said, okay, well, I'll go check it out. And I, I went in. Uh, I think I was wearing, like, a T-shirt and, like, a pair of cargo shorts or something, or <laughs> flip-flops. and uh, Yeah, but Bobby's like a cyclist in a marathon. <laughs> and it you is Boulder, you know. Yeah. It's Boulder, so it's fine. And I just walked in, and all I wanted to do was I just wanted to peek at the wine list. That's all. And that was going to be my, my litmus test, you know. If this place has a good wine list, then, you know, maybe I'll consider applying. You Put know? a clean shirt on. Exactly. All right. So, so I walk in, and uh, I ask to see the wine list, and they hand it to me, and I'm looking through. And as you know, Frosk is a, a restaurant that focuses on the cuisine of Friuli, Italy. Right. Very northeastern Italy. And uh, their list was predominantly Italian and and mostly weird Italian stuff. And, you know, I'm coming from a steakhouse background, my world was California. So I look at this list, I'm like, what? are these wines like didn't recognize anything at all like weird names weird grapes weird regions nothing and I didn't see a lot of like super expensive stuff this was early in the frosca days this was I think they were about a year into their uh, opening Anyhow, uh, so I'm flipping through the list and I'm getting somewhat discouraged, actually. And uh, and then Bobby comes over and asks if I was going to be dining that night, and I said no. You know, <laughs> I've just moved to town. I'm looking around for a job, and you know, I like wine, so I kind of want to learn about wine. And he's like, all right, well, cool. Well, you know, here's my business card. If you decide that you want to, you know, apply here, feel free to reach out.
3: Such a good guy. Such
1: man. a good guy. Good I mean, guy. always such a to good guy. <laughs> <laughs> to this day. Yeah. Always the same, such a hospitality guy. Bobby is guy. Bobby
3: Stuckey. He is he owns legend. owns Frasca in Boulder, and he is a legendary restaurateur and wine guy, a mentor to a lot of people.
1: Legend, mentor, I don't know too many so guys So what happened? you go
3: home and say, I'm going to give this a shot?
1: Anyhow, no. So I walked out of the, the restaurant, and um, I hadn't really looked at his card, and I was walking down the sidewalk, and I, I looked at it just to see what it said, and I noticed the initials MS after his name. And... Thank God I was smart enough at the time to understand what those initials meant, a uh, Master Sommelier. And, uh, you know, up until that point, I'd only ever heard of these people. Uh, I've never witnessed one in real life, you know. And uh, so I was like, oh, my God, man, I've just met a Master Sommelier. This is insane. And um, so I immediately go home and... You know, Google or whatever I was using at the time. Look up, look up, Frosco online and, and read about Bobby. You see his French Laundry. He was with the Little Nell for a while. He's got all these accolades. Um is only open for dinner. It's closed on Sundays. I'm like, man, this is adding up to be really great. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, all right, well, I've, I've got to go try to work here um, if I'm going to do this wine thing, and this is perfect. So I go back the next day uh, to go fill out an application and, uh, walk in, you know, I dressed up, put a nice shirt on. I think I even maybe wore a tie. Wow.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. And, um, walk in, I'm like, hi, I'd like to fill out an application. And the the girl, Kristen, uh, who I still know who's still there, uh, who was behind the bar at the moment, she's like, uh, yeah, we don't really have applications, but if you want to bring a resume, oh boy. then <laughs> <Rude>. <laughs> And I was like, oh shit. Well, uh, all right. Um, I feel like an idiot now, so I leave, and I go home, and I write a resume. Um, and I come back the next day, hand him my resume. They're like, thanks, we'll consider it. Didn't hear anything, so I come back the next day again, just wanted to check in. Came back every day for, I think, six or seven days in a row. I think before they got the the idea that like, this kid is not, not going to leave us alone. Finally, Bobby like comes out, sits me down out on the patio. I was like, look, everybody starts at the bottom. You're going to have to like scrub floors, you know, scrub toilets, do, you know, you're going to be a back waiter for a while. That's how everybody starts here. Luckily, they were just opening the uh, the patio out there at the time and uh, the uh, they needed one more server bumped up uh, to have a server that could take care of the outside. So uh, they had an opening then for a back server or, you know, a busser or whatever they called it at the time. So I looked out and he's I said, great, sign me up. I don't care. I'll do whatever you want it's fine. I just want to foot in the door. I'll work my ass off. It's fine. And, um, and that was that. So I think I started like a couple days later and, uh,
3: Did you do all kinds of tasks?
1: Yeah. The yeah. Everything. I mean, for like the first solid six months or so, I was so scrubbing you, you, toilets and scrubbing.
3: You stayed there scrubbing three years the, uh, though, right? There three years. And you ascended to?
1: By the time I left, I was buying wine for the restaurant.
3: Okay. Um, I think it was so basically Bobby and whoever he deemed to buy it were the wine buyers.
1: Well, Bobby actually wasn't. Uh, he was somewhat involved in the wine buying, but so not. That was a high responsibility. Yeah, then. yeah. Cool. Um, there was uh, two other people on the wine team with me at the time. Um, I think I, I became years, a sommelier. What there. years was that? This was two thousand and five that I got the job there.
3: Uh, I, th- I think I was there when you were there. Oh yeah? And I also think I was at 11 Madison a couple times Yeah, yeah, yeah I definitely it, remember you it, from 11 Madison It's percent. funny <laughs> Alright, so let's zoom through this a little quicker And I'll help yeah, you with it I told so you, you, you I spend, like to talk for a while you, I know, and I love it all <laughs> You spent three years there you know, Bobby's a big influence. You were yeah. sent to buying, and you know, you got your sommelier chops down. There's a reason you leave after three years. Why?
1: Yeah, um, so Richard Betts uh, was leaving the Little Nell Hotel.
3: Richard is another big name in wine Master sommelier, and now, right? Yeah, Big guy at Little, Little Nell. Nell's like the, the fancy area. schmancy resort place. Five and all. star, right. five diamonds. Montagna
1: was the place? Montagna at the Little Nell. I don't think it's there anymore. It is, it's changed its name okay. to Element 47 now. So you, know, so
3: you right, go there at a similar capacity
1: yeah so uh i when he left um it opened up a, the sommelier did position you know there. richard i didn't know, i didn't really know him much at the time but he and bobby were very close so bobby, so bobby, bobby put heard, in a good word exactly okay yeah and uh so i went up and and uh i worked a night of service and uh chatted with the team up there and um you know landed the job and uh i ended up being there for two years just as the sommelier So I wasn't the wine buyer, but it was still a great job for a variety of reasons. I mean, you're working with a much bigger comprehensive wine list, lots of French stuff on there. It was my first experience working with a, a grand award list. Uh, first time working with a lot of
3: burgundy and When you say um, grand award, kind of the wine spectator? Wine spectator, grand award. Did yeah. Bobby care about being a wine spectator, spectator grand award uh, list or not? N- or not at Frosca. No, Frosca was matter, never that right? kind of place. Yeah. No, was, It was more.
1: more telling the story than just trying yeah. to have a big wine list.
3: Yeah. So you're there a couple of years. Yep. Um, you leave there to go to san francisco correct but at some point your ms idea is percolating yeah so
1: it was actually when i was at frosca um you know like i said when i first moved to boulder my intentions were to be there for like a year or two and then i was going to come back east and go to grad school and go off and get a For real job. Uh, <laughs> originally, I just wanted to get an MBA, and okay. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. All right. <laughs> but I just knew I that. needed more school, and I wanted to go get a, a, a good job. Okay. Um, but at some point in time, those, those two years came and went, and I was like, all right, dude, you got to like, make a decision here. Are you going to go back home like you planned, or are you going to stay out here and keep goofing off, or whatever you're doing? Was and, there any uh, appeal to going home?
3: I mean, hopefully well, you're just, close just with your the, family and that didn't, but, well, but family, Baltimore... F- family for sure. No skiing, nothing <laughs> no hip about it. <laughs> no, for me, it was
1: more like a, you know, what am I doing with my life kind of right. thing, you know? and uh,
3: So you, you don't, know, I needed you some, don't like, head ease. What happens? It
1: needed some validation. So at that point is when I decided, all right, well, I'm going to stay out here and I'm going to do the wine thing. I want to do this wine thing. I love it. It's great. And then I think for for me to help validate that um, that decision in my head i needed something to pursue more serious with it and i think that's where the Cordmaster master sommeliers thing kind of fit for me uh not to mention bobby was an ms there's right. a number of other ms's in colorado that i had been around um so a lot of these guys that i really looked up to at the time had gone that path and it, it seemed viable and my intentions were to never actually go through the entire thing. I was like, oh, I'll just take, like, the first couple levels maybe and then call it just a day. Just to
3: help you get better yeah, just understanding line. Yeah, just to, like, get,
1: get better, you know, have the certification. That's it. Um, and then I'm sure as, as many people who are going through the process know, you know, you take one, you it makes it want to take the next level. And then you pass that right. one, it makes you want to take the next. Anywho, so... Uh, Uh, I was already, I think, past the certified by the time I went up to Aspen. Um, And then while I was in Aspen, I passed the advanced. Wow. Um, And I actually went and sat for the master's once while I was still in Aspen as well, Um, but didn't pass the first time out.
3: What Um, year is that?
1: This is... this would have been two thousand and uh, nine oh, no. that I took took it the first time. Uh, no, sorry, two thousand ten. You're right that I took it the the first time. Um, and yeah, and then San Francisco kind of came calling. Literally, uh, Raj Par, um another great sommelier. We Not, had Raj
3: on the show about a month ago. He's the, the man, he's um, a sweetheart, sweetheart of a guy. Yeah. But uh, he was looking for a psalm, and but uh, just one second. Raj yeah. is one of those guys where you were classically trained. I mean, you went through the whole MS thing. Yeah, Raj can rival anyone, and didn't do that. Correct. There's a special guy, and you're one of them for sure, and certainly Raj is without that formal training. But right. you know, a nose and a palate. Like yeah, anyone I mean, else.
1: one of the best palates I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, which so, actually that that's part of the, what drew me to him and to that was you know I had I had been mentored and, and been trained under so many people that have gone that quartermaster sommelier's path. I felt, you know, if I had somebody else like Raj, it could really help round me out Another a little perspective. bit, get a different perspective on wine and it could, uh, could change things around a little bit. And obviously I was very drawn to his, his way of tasting and his palate. So
3: you go to RN 74,
1: RN 74.
3: Um, that's Michael Mina, Michael Big Mina sense. restaurant.
1: Yep. It's in the uh, millennium tower building. Good as uh, any place in the country. Again, this was about a year or so into their launch and, uh, they had won their the grand award in their first year. Uh, huge list, really deep in Burgundy. Rn seventy four is really all about Burgundy, um, so it was again a, a place where I could hone in my that was
3: your biggest skills. dose of Burgundy knowledge. Huge, certainly yeah, not huge. Frasca, right? Well,
1: f- French wine in in general, no. Frasca right. was it, cutting my teeth with Italian, right? You know, the Nell was great for like a more worldly, broad perspective on wine, and then Rn seventy four was like. A lot of French, a lot of California, right? Especially at the time, it was like the new wave California had, they stuff. They had to
3: have it because yeah. proximity.
1: But it was cool, you know. Raj's thing at the time was, I don't want any Chardonnay or Pinot Noir over fourteen percent alcohol. It was like his rule, you know, <laughs> and he was yeah. pissed a lot of people off with that. But well, lot, but it was he did interesting. IPOB,
3: he yeah, then he
1: IPOB the first IPOB was in the lobby of Rn seventy four.
3: Oh, that's right. Yeah, I saw
1: pictures. Yeah. Jasmine Hirsch well, was, was also there. on. And, uh, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like, I didn't realize California was doing such cool shit. And, um, yeah, it, it, it made me fall in love with California wine again. And at the same time, I was learning a ton about Burgundy and, and French wine in general, Rhone, etc. cetera. Um, it was an amazing, amazing experience. And uh, Right, you know, so you're there how long? Just a year. A year. Oh, yeah, a
3: quick year, yeah. And during that time two questions one where are you at with the ms and when does the psalm the movie psalm come into play
1: yes so uh i actually sat and passed my master's uh, exam february of 2011 so it was about what is that four or so months into me working at rn74
3: and up until that point, how many years were you studying for it? Four or five years. When I
1: passed, it was five
3: years. Five years. Yeah,
1: from the time I took the intro until when I passed. And the we're notes, talking it was five years.
3: studying all day, working all night. All the time. A lot of the yeah, time, yeah, yeah. right? All most the time. The... Yeah, that that's was, the commitment. That was my that life. People... Right? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I did nothing except for uh, for study, taste, and work. So, how does the movie? Som is a movie where they followed master sommelier candidates if you haven't seen it it's on netflix it's widely available you should see it dustin's a big part of it how did they come to you to be in the movie
1: um so when i was living in aspen and i took my advance actually the year i passed my advance i met a guy named uh, brian mcclintock he was a mutual friend of another friend of mine named ian cobble um ian and i had seen each other at exams and what, competitions was ian in the movie he was. He yeah. Was dad. He had,
3: yeah. Right. That's right. <laughs> He's the, uh, the, the crazy guy. In the right. Mind. Yeah. He doesn't <laughs> pass. Sorry, <Ian. laughs> Felt so bad when he didn't pass, right? I know. Yeah. yeah that was
1: tough. Um, but uh, so Ian and I knew each other prior. We had, we had seen each other at competitions and, and exams and that kind of thing. And uh, Brian was with him. I guess they were close. And after the advanced exam, Brian reaches out to me randomly. It's like, hey, man, uh, it was nice meeting you at the exam. I'm looking for a SOM gig somewhere or some place where I can be more in in touch with wine. If you know of anything, let me know. And, uh, you know, I knew we were looking for captains at the Little Nell. And I was like, look, if you want to move to Aspen, you could probably score your job super easy at the Nell. You could be a captain there. You work with me and, and, and Jonathan on wine. You know, we could definitely get you involved in some capacity, even if it's like just handling bottles, helping with inventory, learning how, like, things come and go. That sort of thing, and he's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, that sounds good." And so he picked up and moved to Aspen. And um, the point I'm getting to is, we uh, we became study study buddies. We were very close, and um, his friend is Jason Wise, who directed the film. Ah, so uh, the connection, yeah. So Brian, one day, idea. I remember sitting at Brian's apartment um, outside of Aspen. We're studying. He's like, "Hey, just FYI, a, a buddy of mine." wants to like film us while we're studying for this stuff would and you it, be into it and i was like yeah i don't care that's fine nobody cared right, <laughs> right? Yeah, I was like at the time like yeah okay some dude's gonna come over with like a handheld you know cassette video camera it was and just, pretty like, informal <laughs> <us."> <laughs> right I mean, it wasn't a light <laughs> exactly <sound>. yeah <laughs> and uh i was like yeah that's fine whatever totally cool and uh so then we, I remember the process of, of it becoming uh, a fundraising thing, and we were reaching out to people to try to get some money to get the, the film off the ground and that sort of jazz. I remember that. And um, it took a while to line. get it rolling, um, but then eventually they picked up a little bit of money. Um, Jason started filming Ian first. So when I first went out for my master's exam, um, Ian or uh, Jason was there filming. But Brian, myself, nobody else was involved really except for Ian. Um in fact, my first experience meeting Jason was he was picking me up after I had been a long night of drinking after the master's exam, and I found out I failed. Oh, boy. Myself and a couple buddies. Drinking your
3: bullshit. <laughs> we're, Na- we're
1: in Napa, just getting after it oh hard. Boy. I mean, hammered, karaoke, so you name it. <laughs>
3: that happened during the movie. as
1: Well, it, it he had started filming at that point, yes. It ran um, into each other. Yeah. So, so the, anyway... Uh, it wasn't until I moved to San Francisco that he said, all right, I need more guys involved. Um, Dustin, are you ready to be filmed? So I said, sure. And that's when D-Lynn got involved. Brian got involved. Um, what and year was that? Filming. So this was, it Two, would have been 2010. Ten. It took yeah. a couple of years. Yeah. To film and he filmed right? us for, I mean, it would seem to be close to a year. The movie came or out so. in
3: 2012. So you're talking yeah. 10 11. So a good year plus.
1: Yeah. But what was interesting is when he wrapped filming, uh, the editing process took like a solid year. Or oh, so. really? And then when he started pitching the film to get picked up, that took some time. Um, so by the time it actually came out and people started watching it and hearing about it, uh, so a good amount of time had passed and I almost got to the point where I forgot we did it. Right. You know. But when it came out And then it came out it and got it was critical like, Holy acclaim.
3: Shit. The yeah. industry loved it and then it opened up, you know, to everyone else. Yeah. They just it was such an interesting subject matter. People don't realize the intensity and the commitment. <laughs> it's like these guys are nuts. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know? Well, it's funny cuz I I remember the and first time Ian, sitting like, down to watch it. Uh, I got like the preview DVD and popped it in, and I was again. You know, Jason was like sleeping on a couch on the floor. It was him and like one other guy most of the time. It was very informal, so uh, I still hadn't expected all that much out of it. Honestly, I,
3: I saw it a few times, and you really feel. you It's know, definitely authentic. It's, like it was it's, not it's authentic. You feel the tension. You feel the yeah. commitment. I mean, it, it was you not guys, a big budget thing. You guys pulled it off. Guys, uh,
1: but I popped John. in. <laughs> oh
3: yeah. It cool. definitely, I
1: pop in the DVD and I'm like, dude, I'm like, this is this is like legit. This is real.
3: This is looks good. <laughs> it's legit because you guys were legit. All right, so let's finish up on the life's travels. So you leave the movies done. You yep. talked about popping it in the DVD. You finish up. You head to New York mm-hmm. to not arguably today, but what is the number one restaurant in the world? Yes, you only had four stars and three. Four New York Times stars, three Michelin stars, you know, as you were there. But you leave the West Coast to come to. Yeah, 11 Madison Park. And just quickly, how does that come about?
1: So, uh... If people remember, Eleven Madison Park was a part of the Danny uh, Meyer Union Square Hospitality Group with Danny Meyer, and you were there when it was still under Danny's ownership. Correct. So what many people also don't realize is Eleven Madison Park's been around since 1998. Right. Uh, a lot of people just think it's a relatively new restaurant because I think it was like a
3: third restaurant or something. Yeah, it was like. And uh, Madison Square Park was like a shitty area, like correct. Union Square, and. Yeah, you know, he so that. he
1: had Union Square, Gramercy, and then I think he opened Tabla and Eleven Madison Park with Floyd at the same time. They were basically in adjoining spaces. Right. Anyhow, uh, uh, what's where your was connection? I? To, so,
3: what's the connection to get you west to Eleven Madison?
1: When the chef Daniel Hume, and Will Gadara, who at the time was the general manager. Working for Danny, right? Uh, they were working for Danny. They made plans to purchase the restaurant from Danny Meyer and split off and start their own group. Um, when that, those conversations started taking place and taking hold, uh, the wine director that was there prior to me, John Reagan, uh, had a decision to make. He was either going to stick with USHG and Danny Meyer and that group or you know go off into the unknown with Will and Daniel. He's still um, at US. So he made the call to stick with Danny and USHG. Um, I think that was a route he was he wanted to take and become their corporate wine director. Uh, he's still that to this day. He's killing it. Um, which opened up a spot at Eleven Madison Park. Um, luckily, uh, through some mutual friends, and you know, I, I got to thank my lucky stars for all the people that I've met right. along the way because it's insane that you know that you talk about place and time and being in the right place at the right time and uh, i had that luck for sure um when they were looking they reached out to who else but bobby stuckey richard betts like a handful rajat par they didn't want to leave all these people they were like hey you know who they should we be looking at
3: they didn't grow up in bold
1: <laughs> and uh you know luckily all these guys were like oh yeah you should check out dustin And by the time they called me they're like dude who are you that like all these people are you, you know all these people and you run into it and worked with all these people. Um, so, uh, you know, I thank my lucky stars every day for that. Cause, um, and
3: you did that for four years.
1: Yeah, so I, I came out there pretty much a year to the day from when I started at, EMP, or at uh, RN74 and uh, was at 11 Madison Park for just about four years. And you said
3: you got there, it was a Danny Meyer Gramercy, I mean Union Square yeah. Hospitality. Yeah. In the four years you were there, when did it flip?
1: Uh... Right Basically, away. like, two months later, so oh, I, so or I, three months later. I started in, like, uh, late September, early October, and by January, it was uh, under new new leadership.
3: I, I think Danny went through that with Tom Colicchio and Kraft and didn't want to go through it again with Will and... Uh Daniel. Yeah, I mean, it was, so think especially at the go. time, because... But isn't he a small partner or something? in it? He Yeah, be, I don't, I don't yeah. know. Um, but I, I do know,
1: you know, those guys, wrote, like, helped raise the bar for 11 Madison Park.
3: Yes, to they, this
1: day. They were planning to, they wanted something of their own, and they were going to leave 11 Madison Park. To do that. And go do something on their own right. if, if he didn't give him the restaurant. So he yeah. felt it, you know, God bless Danny. Mm-hmm. He felt that the best thing to do is, you know, let's make this happen, do the deal, and you guys take it and run.
3: Just as a side note, there's a thing called the world's 50 best restaurants. Yep. Is it Pellegrino?
1: Pellegrino, yeah.
3: And when I started. Last year was Massimo Battoro from Modena, was number one. This year, 11 Madison is number correct.
1: one. Correct. Yeah, when I started, uh, they had just jumped from number 50 on that list to number 25. I remember. And then we went up to number 11, 11. then 10, then
3: like 5, then 3. It was a wild ride. So you did that for four years. We'll weave back and forth into that. You leave there, top of the world, why and for what? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I know, I get that all the time. Uh, so I left to go start Verve. Verve is my uh, wine retail project. Uh,
3: Something you were thinking about while you were there? Yeah, yeah. Like I, one day I'm going to walk s- out of the restaurant business. Totally. I, okay, and Verve is Verve a-
1: Wine. Uh, it's, we have a retail store, brick-and-mortar retail store down in Tribeca here in the city. All right, uh, stop
3: right there because we're going to come back a little later. All right. And, you know, focus on the show. I want you to talk about that. Um, I just want to ask you a bunch of questions Before sure. we get into your projects and, and help me decipher some of this People are still intimidated by wine
1: mm-hmm.
3: Wine stores Sommeliers Restaurant wine lists, And you've had your hand on all of that yeah. And you're not the type of guy Disposition personality wise Where you want to impose or be intimidating Correct How do you, What do you tell people To break through you know all of that Uh, going into your store which i know you want to make the experience easy or the wine list a couple makes a reservation six months in advance at 11 madison 160 page correct how do you get away from that intimidation
1: yeah i think i mean for me it was always and and, you know i come from the bobby stuckey school is you know you you use hospitality to kind of make people feel at home and feel comfortable and you know you always want to make sure that you're Speaking to them on, on their level and, and, and making them feel home and, and good. Um, but not
3: everyone does that. No, Some not Some people, you know, are imposing Some, and don't give a shit. Totally. So you, that was the way you connected.
1: Yeah, and for me, it was like I want to make sure when people leave any interaction with me that it's they leave happy and excited. Um, so and feel it, like they learn maybe a little something. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people might use this sommelier platform to uh, show off how much they know. Um, it's not about
3: you, it's about it's them. It's about
1: the guests, yeah. And at the end of the day, guests. a lot of guests don't understand jargon. So they what should they do? So, ask a
3: lot of questions? Tell people what they like? I yeah. mean, how do you...
1: Yeah, I think for me, it was always... You uh, pulled it out of I, it. I've always done it the same way since I was taught from day one, which is like you ask people what they love, what they're into, uh, what's the last thing that they can remember that they've had that
3: they enjoyed, you get that frame of and reference make, and, make then you, and then you and then you kind of go into it with them but wouldn't you say some sommeliers just want to kind of impress people and push what they give a crap about which totally. is really the wrong end of the spectrum
1: yeah and you know don't i think i think there is certain value for Sommelier is having a, a strong perspective. That's what helps change the industry. It's what helps trends evolve. And right. uh, you know, if people didn't have opinions and perspectives, then we'd all just be stagnant all the time, which would be boring. Right. So I, I don't think that it's invaluable at all. I think it's just, uh, you know, how you do that um, and making sure that at the end of the day, it's the guest and the person that you're talking to. So you remember,
3: you're, you're, you're the keeping guest. their
1: best interests in mind at all times.
3: Don't let guys like Dustin. <laughs> To, you know push you around um has the one you're a young guy you've done a lot you know in a well you know not a short not a long period of time but very condensed has the business changed a lot since you've been in it I mean have you seen a lot of changes for the good The
1: yeah I think um worse? Oof, I mean I definitely see the trends with wine I remember like Riesling and Gruner Veltliner were like the hotness Back in 05 when I was first getting into it, I remember reading like certain magazines, wine and spirits. They're things hot like now, that. though. They are, but they, they were like just it? getting cool. Oh, okay. Like so, they're now on a good it's ride wine is cool, and Jura right. wine is cool, and Loire Valley, Shannon, 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 Shannon. You know, shenan, 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 you know? Right, like Take
3: <laughs> it easy on Pascaline will you? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she's a friend of the show. You know, back then it was
1: like everybody but just wanted these... to
3: talk about Grüner Veltliner all the time. So I guess to dis- not decipher, but to look at that answer. There's been a lot of trends. A lot of trends. Trendy, and people sort of. And I guess sommeliers are influencers, so they carry the trend.
1: What I love about the industry and kind of what's happened to it over the last few years, at least that I've witnessed, is A, people are, at least generally speaking, that there's a shift away from uh, so much reliance on critics. Uh, well, I want to get
3: to that because I have a social media question, and oh, I think okay, we're not there question, yet. No, I, but while hit. I have you here, but but <laughs> file that, all right? Um, because you hit it right where I wanted to go. But before we get to that, while I have you here, and we may talk a little about it with Verve because we got a break in a few minutes. But talk to me right now in your mind. I only care what you think. What's exciting in wine? What wines are exciting? What regions? To you, to the store. You know, it doesn't have to be trendy, but where is your focus towards right now?
1: Yeah. um, For me, I'm realizing more and more that there's really awesome wine from a lot of places that's not expensive. Give me, you know. Like, this week alone, uh, I've... Honestly, I've been focusing all my tastings on like Southern Hemisphere stuff, which is not my wheelhouse. Are you frankly. talking Africa and South America? I'm talking mostly South mostly South Africa, New Zealand, Australia. Okay.
3: Um, and and not it's not the exciting. typical varietals anymore. Everybody yeah, used to think it's, Australia Syrah, it's much yeah, deeper. Well, it's New some Zealand. Of, a lot of it. Some some of it is the same varieties,
1: but there's you know, others. just different styles. And there's everybody's breaking the mold on what people thought these wines were and uh i just it gets me super excited because i just look at i'm like man there is such good stuff everywhere because for me i remember tasting and trying to buy wine for restaurants not that long ago where you tasted something from Australia it's like the same old stuff it's right like the same 15% alcohol
3: crazy barossa shiraz that but they went through that period they closed down a little and now you know they're yeah. back in the game australia had their you know problems it's so, just exciting
1: cuz you can find like really delicious wines from a lot of different places that have great stories so if you had fun. to
3: condense it into a handful of recommendations what in australia what in south Africa. No, I mean, I don't know. Are but you talking still staying with Shiraz as <laughs> a varietal?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I mean, this will encapsulate it. There's Pinot a lot noir, of producers right? in Australia now that are putting the word Syrah on their label instead of Shiraz.
3: Ah, okay.
1: And you know, it's a little thing, but it's also a psychological thing for them where it's right. like we're not making the same Shiraz type of wines that our predecessors did. Um, hills and- so it's it's cool. What's about- super cool.
3: What about uh, South Africa? Yeah. uh, I mean, are there varietals or regions? I know, what is it, Swartland is doing a whole natural wine thing? Yeah, and
1: there's like Elgin and Walker Bay and some of these cool climate areas. What are are, the
3: predominant varietals?
1: You're looking at a lot of Chenin Blanc, um, a lot of Syrah, some Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, that kind of stuff. Um, So not necessarily wacky grapes uh, Blanc and
3: fresh or whatever they
1: make Blanc Fronkish Blanc right <laughs> so the grapes aren't necessarily all that weird what I'm finding is just the quality is steadily increasing um, I honestly wrote off South African wines years ago, because I tasted as much as I could, and I just couldn't find anything that And I now you're feeling good about and it. And now I'm like, uh, just in the last two weeks alone, have tasted a lot of really fun things.
3: And, so uh, not to go all over eye-opening. the place, I guess the takeaway is, on your recommendation, Southern Hemisphere, South Africa, I guess what I'm saying Australia. is, don't ever write off a region. Right. Keep, keep your mind
1: open, because... Uh, you know for me I used to be like you know what South African wines suck I don't like South African wines and now I'm kicking myself because I'm like there's actually a lot of good stuff here
3: alright I'm going to ask you one more question and then we're going to take a break when we come back I want to do the wine list then I want to get into your projects and we're going to taste some wine so I had pushed you off to this social media Mm -hmm. how how has it changed wine during your tenure in wine
1: yeah um well, I think and this kind of, of it, plays critics. into the critic thing. Social media has developed, I think, a lot of uh, new experts. I guess you could say
3: um, instead of the same three, four, five.
1: Correct. Now there's dozens, if not hundreds, of I people. I use that this
3: word all the time, and tell me if you agree. It's more democratized.
1: Totally is. Yeah, which is a great of, thing. Right. I think that's that's one of the trends that I really love to see. Is people you know used to be following like you said three four people and they had the dominance of the entire industry and that's right. you know they they've changed the industry completely um and they changed the way wine was made and uh you know what people consumed Now um, you have
3: bloggers, but now there's electable there's writers, so many different types of people punch, out there correct you know, all uh,
1: that are all you know have their own voice and Consumers now have the opportunity to kind of pick and choose from a a number of different viewpoints on wine. It's not about points and scores anymore. It's about the stories and the way the wine tastes. And uh, I think it's much more interesting now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's one aspect. The other aspect is how wine personalities use it. To Mm -hmm. promote their brands on Instagram or Snapchat. Yeah. You know, there's a whole forum for people to get their messages out. Totally. So you can hear from the winemaker, you can hear it from sommeliers. You can hear it from other It's reviewers. just
1: another platform for them to use to tell tell the stories they want to tell. And it's so great. social
3: media, in your mind, has had nothing but a positive effect
1: on it. I think it's had a great effect. I think, uh, you know, if it's used in the right okay. way, I mean, I would say the one well, trend. Well, like any. Like any yeah, yeah. The one trend I don't love is just the pure uh, searching of wines that are essentially unattainable. Yeah. Um, the right. pure, the pure FOMO, <laughs> right? Shots, you know, like ah, oh, look at yeah. this flight of the twenty-five thousand dollar, fifty-year-old DRC wines things. that yeah, I yeah. tasted tonight. Yeah. Ha 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 ha. Don't you wish you were me? Right. <laughs> like, I mean, I get it. It's fun because you want you know to document it, that experience, but at the same time. You get to time, see it. You know, right. it's out there, so
3: you get to see it. But I agree. You're rubbing you. it in people's faces. I, I, you know, I, I think know. there's a whole separate social media mm-hmm. argument that people are just doing stuff for other people to see. Correct. You know, where there's a lot of education and criticism, which is more important. Yeah. All right. So we're talking to Dustin Wilson. Dustin's a master sommelier. We heard where he came from. Um, He's also the proprietor of Verve Wine in New York City, which we're going to talk about. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to subject Dustin to the wine list, talk about his projects, and then me, Dustin, and Trouty are going to taste a little wine on air. So we'll be right back.
1: Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. When you mill whole grains, you get all three parts, the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. The bran, or the roughage, makes up about 14% of the whole grain. It's the outer skin of the edible kernel. It contains large amounts of B vitamins, some protein, trace minerals, phytochemicals, but most importantly, dietary fiber. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast.
2: Hey.
3: All right, we're back. We're back. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. My guest is Dustin Wilson. Hello. Master sommelier, proprietor of Verve Wine. All right, Dustin, nobody leaves the Heritage Radio Network studios without asking, answering the wine list. Excuse me. So I'm going to give you a bunch of questions. and I'm not prepared. Ans- you shouldn't be. That's the beauty of this. Answer them honestly and succinctly. All right? First question, and you may have answered this what are you drinking now? What are you tasting? What keeps reappearing? Whether it's personal, for the store, but what, what, what are you drinking now?
1: Right now, I am drinking mostly Northern Rhone wines. Okay. Uh, and it's been that way for a, a, a good chunk of time now. Uh, Give me
3: a couple of specifics that you're liking.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, Pierre Gonon, Saint-Joseph.
3: My all-time uh, favorite. Monier
1: Perrault, Saint-Joseph. Uh domain What's four. that e. give me the second one? Uh, we Mo- have,
3: Monier Perol. We have to spell sometimes on oh, the show.
1: M-O-N-I-E-R is the first one. Monier Perol is P-E-R-R E O
3: L. And give me a price point retail on the Parole. Uh,
1: they're like probably in the 30, mid-30 30 range. Is Parole cheaper than
3: the Gonon? Yes, okay. it is now. So that's, now. that's a good one. Give yeah. me one more.
1: Uh, what else do I really like? Julian Session, uh, great little producer. He makes a delicious little Crows Amitage. Spell Session. Oh, uh,
3: C-E-C-I-L-L-O-N. C-E-C-I-L-L-O-N. Okay. All right, next question. Your favorite wine and food pairing.
1: Ooh, that is, a, uh, that is a good question. Um, tr- probably champagne and oysters.
3: Oh, boy. I'm going to have to ask you to leave now. <laughs> no, no, that's the classic answer. It's either champagne and oysters, I, I think muscadet about- and oysters, but you're right. <laughs> but I've gotten champagne and popcorn, champagne and uh, fried chicken, Champagne and pizza. You know, one, so I go. To but Aspen, I will show. I will play tapes of shows where I say, "Give me your favorite wine and food pairing." Don't tell me champagne and oysters. Oh man! But you but know it's what? So good. You are for <laughs> you. It's the perfect answer because you're right. You know, I, I I go to Aspen you have every the year, cred to,
1: and we sit on the patio at Ajax Tavern, oh, and you look up in the sunshine, the and you get a couple bottles of champagne, huge thing of oysters, and you're in heaven. There's nothing like eating oysters. West, West in a coast or li- east coast oysters? East coast. East coast. East coast.
3: Okay. Briny. Yeah. Blanc de blanc, blanc to noir, blanc de blanc. Tradi so from get the Pacific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nothing like eating oysters in a landlocked state, but we'll get to that another <laughs> time. All right. Tell me your favorite wine restaurant and/or bar. Somebody. Where wine is a critical part of the experience. Here in the city. In the city. And if you want to give me, you have another favorite place, I'll take that
1: too. Yeah. Right now, my favorite place to go is uh, Compagnie de Vins Sur Naturel.
3: We had Caliban a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Caleb doing is a, the man. They're doing we worked nice together Caleb. at EMP.
1: Uh, are you doing I, I love
3: a, it. It's great. Are you doing a mixtape
1: there? I, I have done a mixtape yeah. already. Okay. I'm, I'm pressuring him to allow me to do the
3: remix. Okay. Yeah so company is a wine bar with terrific food how about something outside of new york
1: outside of new york i would say <sighs> oh man um probably frosca
3: okay you're Boulder. right yeah that's a good one it's a f- great, f- great fair place place to drink square. wine and the tribute to him is that many years later it's oh still yeah as good as it's so good ad. all right your favorite all-time wine favorite all-time wine. is there a wine that moved you is there a I'll wine that the experience
1: uh, i'm gonna sound like such a douche by saying this probably but when i passed there's no douches <laughs> in here uh when i passed the the ms exam uh my sommelier buddies at the time in sf um, treated me to a bottle of 1980 latash uh so a the wine is amazing okay and B, it was with the right people, and it was the right
3: moment. That's as much the experience yeah. as the wine. It
1: really probably could have been anything,
3: but that was no, one of the most memorable wines, uh, wine experiences that I've ever had. All right, last question, and, and you are super qualified to answer this. <laughs> Best wine retail, yeah. around 15 bucks. I need a red, I need a white. Trouty's going to dinner. Six people bringing two, three bottles, doesn't want to spend the world. What's he buying for around 15? Give me a red, give me a white.
1: Yeah, let's see. All right, so white wine. I would say uh, there's this Muscadet producer called Complementaire. Spelled uh, whew, Gosh C-O-M-C-E-L-E It's spelled like compliment But with E-R-R-E at the end Okay, complimentaire
3: Complimentaire Because I get a lot of Olivier and Le Pepier Yep, it's, there's it's, another a, mous- one.
1: it's a great little Muscadet That's like uh, It's 12, 13 uns- bucks. It's it's either unsulfured or very low sulfur And it's extremely aromatic But it has all the other great qualities of Muscadet. It's Sounds delicious good cheap. And
3: that goes with oysters too, right? It does indeed um, Give me a red
1: Red right now, tougher. I would say uh, uh, Colombera and Garella. Um,
3: All right, nobody understands that. So, <laughs> so w- 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 is that the type of wine? Colombera
1: is the uh, the name. Uh, so it's two two partners, uh, Colombera and Gorilla are the two guys. Okay, two spell names. for me, uh, Colombera. Just kind of has it sounds, C O L O M B I E R A.
3: B R A. Uh,
1: and Gorilla is G A R E L
3: L A. Okay, uh, well, where is that from?
1: They're up in uh, Alto Piemonte, so the northern part of the Piedmont. North- um, it's a Nebbiolo based wine. Right. It's they, they make a few wines. The Costa della Sessia is the uh, the more inexpensive wine. Um, I, I can't say that it's fifteen dollars, but fifteen but twenty
3: bucks. It's yes, and for, for sure. the money, for the money, it's banging. Funny, I had Laura Maniac in here, and I said, "What are you liking now?" And she said, "Alta Pimanti. Yeah, you great wines. it come up. Great wines. All right, so those are two good choices. All right, so let's get back to a few other things, and then we're going to taste some wine. Cool. So you have your hands currently in a bunch of different things. You have your own wine label. You have a distribution company, and you have a recently opened wine store. Let's start with your wine company. It's called yes. Valin, V A L L I N. Correct. What is Valin?
1: Vallin is uh, a partnership between myself and a couple of sommelier buddies and a winemaker. Um, we started in 2000, or our first vintage was 2012. Um, the idea for it came about when I was still living in San Francisco um, and it was very. Fa- uh, fascinated by the, the trend of like the IPOB, the wines of balance right? this new wave California stuff and uh, so much attention was being paid to Chardonnay and Pinot Noir at the time um, and I love Syrah, I like drinking co tea and that kind of stuff and no. uh, so we were like man we should take this same mentality and apply it to Syrah and make some really delicious cool climate um Balanced style Syrah that's made in the way that we like to drink from the old world. But, you know, coming from California, let's be a part of this wave. So
3: you searched for so, uh, and suppliers?
1: Well, we searched for someone that would help us on the winemaker side first. And we came across that with uh, Justin Willett. Who, who, Justin's uh,
3: background is what?
1: So he uh, worked for Arcadian under Joe Davis for some time uh, and then launched his own wine label called Tyler. Back in uh, 2005. It's very good, popular
3: wine. Memory. Super delicious. Yeah, yeah great wines. Great, great wine. Pinot and Chardonnay. And great price points, too. It's yes, not a crazy indeed. expensive wine. So he's your winemaker.
1: Uh, he's the winemaker. And, um, okay. you know, our, our goal was like, hey, we, wanna, we don't want to discount the terroir of where the wine's coming from. We want this to be a California wine. Predominantly from where? Uh, it's all Santa Barbara. Okay. Yeah, we harvest from a few different sites around Santa Barbara. Uh, we wanted it to be a, a pure Santa Barbara expression. Um, But stylistically, um, and from a vinification standpoint, we wanted to utilize methods done in the old world. So more whole cluster fermentation, less use of new oak. Actually, there's no new oak on it. Um, We tried to use as little
3: sulfur as possible. When you say no new oak... Yeah. You're using barrels, correct? But they're you're just using oak barrels that have been used, so used a lot times. of the woody wood you know, flavors been are sucked gone. out. Exactly. But yeah. as a vessel, it's storage, and it imparts yes. a
1: little something. It imparts, yeah, because it's still an oxidative environment, okay? Uh, at least to a certain extent. You know those cracks and whatnot in the barrel. So.
3: When you use a barrel, what are you talking about? It's been used three, four times before have, you put yeah, your stuff Yeah, these were at least three times, if okay. not more. Yeah, all right, yeah. Um,
1: and, uh, yeah, we didn't make much. It's, it's always been, like, a fun side thing that we just really like. I like drinking the wine myself. Did it so. come out the way you hoped it would? Yeah, it's been better than I, I thought it would Do you would
3: make be, something so. besides Syrah?
1: We did before. Uh, we Actually, our first vintage, we made a little Grenache, too. Okay. Uh, we also have a white wine. Um, it's a Viognier and Marsan blend. Nice. Um, but then we realized that if we wanted to kind of focus on this northern Rhone thing, then Grenache didn't make sense. We actually made a Rosé the first year, too. So we bagged the rosé, bagged the Grenache. So now it's just two wines.
3: So if people want to get the wine, yes. it's a very small production wine. Yes. But if their curiosity's peaked and they're enticed, what's their best thing to do? Go on the website?
1: Yeah, they can buy it through Verve, for sure. Okay. And that would be so my first
3: recommendation. So <laughs> anybody anywhere around the country could get... Yeah. In touch with Verve. We'll yeah. get, when we get to Verve, we'll give them all the Correct. contact info and all that. All right. So that's going on. You have grapes in the ground for this fall's vintage. Yeah. Your next vintage. Correct. All right. So let's talk about Anvil. Yeah. Anvil is another company of yours. It is a import distribution company? D- distribution, really. Distribution.
1: Yep. Um, so Anvil came about... A good buddy of mine who, uh, when I was working at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse back in the day. Wow. Good buddy, Matt. Uh, Matt and I drank a lot of wine together back then. We kind of were getting into wine right around the same time. Uh, He went off and became a lawyer. I went off and became a sommelier. He calls me like a few years ago and says, hey, I kind of don't want to do this lawyer thing anymore. I want to get into wine. He needed a uh,
3: somebody to help him get into that world. Separate of you and him seeing each other, just something we had seen each other a little bit here and there. But you he actually, were not the major influence in why he wanted to do that. No, you? I
1: think he always liked wine. Um, I think he enjoyed the uh, he enjoyed tasting it. It was a hobby of his, but it wasn't. Um, you know, I don't think he got the bug to, to do anything with it until right. he kind of had to make a decision about if he's staying in law or not. Um, he had come to see me at I Love Madison Park a few times, and uh, we had stayed in contact. Uh, anyhow, so when I was wrapping up at 11 Madison Park and planning Verve, we still had some time before Verve was going to launch. So uh, I helped him kind of get this thing off the ground. And um, it's great. We started as a small portfolio of, of basically all French wine in the beginning. So let's tell people what it is. You
3: do this in the state it's of Colorado. Right. Yes. So it's in Colorado. You're we a distributor sell, in Colorado. So you're gonna sell wine to restaurants and retailers in Colorado. But the goal is to bring wines in that you like that are not available in the market correct yeah so
1: our th- our thing has always been distribution for the for most part wines that had not been represented there before so a bit of an uphill battle for anybody that's trying to launch new brands
3: in a market right it you know it takes time how many different uh wines are you distributing now
1: now gosh i'm gonna um, guess
3: 55 plus.
1: Yeah, probably.
3: Because I counted. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. So it's about 55. <laughs> yeah, Eight. we started out with like 10. <laughs> the predominant country is France?
1: Mostly French, yeah. Right, uh, we've got German a little Italian. USA. A great German book now. A couple of yep, domestic producers. Um, and it's been great. Super fun. Um, it gives me a, a reason to go back to Colorado on a, on a somewhat regular basis. Perfect. My role is I kind of feed producers his way and give him some pointers and tell him what he's missing out if he's not buying something else. And uh, it's, it's
3: been great to watch it grow. Well, if in the course of this conversation, you went from 10 to over 50 wines, then it's going in the right direction. Yeah, it's been great. You know, so that's a good thing. All right, let's talk about what you're currently doing, what keeps you up at night. Yes. What you spend 15, 16 hours a day doing. You opened a retail wine store with all your background You opened a retail wine store late last year called Verve Wine, V-E-R-V-E, Verve Wine in New York City. Uh, What's the address? 24 Hubert Street. And that's Tribeca. 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 All right. So what was the goal, the objective, the mission statement when you wanted to open Verve? Not the first wine store in that neighborhood. Certainly not the only one in New York.
1: Yeah. I mean, for us, we just wanted to kind of bring our perspective on wine and our vision of hospitality i think to the to the wine retail world um so
3: hospitality hospitality which you don't necessarily get and you have a huge
1: and experience you know and um i think for me i just uh when you when you shop for wine or when you are learning about wine and you know also coming to put it into context we're looking at a a day and age right now where uh the consumption of wine is growing at a very rapid rate uh and the consumer that is buying all this wine is starting to change dramatically how um i mean the younger generation uh I, I mean i hate rambling on about millennials but millennials are now represent the largest wine market in the country the largest wine market in the history of of wine drinking in the u.s and uh they're changing the way that wine is bought and sold and, and what's important about it and what's not.
3: So you so, you know the market and you have to pivot to them.
1: Yeah. So what's it, you know, for me, it's I'm, I'm like, an I guess, a very, very old millennial or a very young Gen Xer. So but, I'm like but not kind Adam of an in-between
3: Tush. guy, right. you know. So for me, but I... To have the experience you have... You know you can't be a millennial I mean, you know, <laughs> right so you have right. the best of both worlds yes you're exactly. still on the fringe in a good way i'm on the fringe and for you have sure a good experience
1: so but I, what i saw was an opportunity to kind of just freshen things up a little bit and bring bring uh more of the experience um especially like the online piece and social media and the way we present ourselves to the world um and the way we talk about wine um is a a, a, you know create an environment that's fun
3: educational and approachable for the younger wine consumer so education is important huge is is the online portion becoming a nice chunk of the business it's on its way there Um, and you're working hard towards that totally
1: yeah that's where we see the most potential and that's where i want to see it grow and uh
3: we're putting a lot of effort into that would you say that the store specializes predominantly in European wines? It's a lot of European wine, for sure. Does, um, it, does it fold into a handful of countries, or are you trying to... Develop? Right
1: now, yeah. It's, right now, it's mostly French. and okay. uh, French and Italian, I would say. Um, but a good chunk of Spain, Germany, Austria, um, you know, scattered, scattering around Europe. Right. Um, like
3: you said, all these regions...
1: Right, right. Pushing right. out great wine. Uh, a good chunk of domestic stuff. A lot of California, but a little bit of Oregon, even New right. York, um, et cetera. And, uh, you know, for us, though, it's more about the producer and how they make their wines. And we look for small family-owned wineries that uh, that show great respect for their land, their sense of place. Um, so the, you're really the curating.
3: Super curated. What you're carrying, exactly, and exactly. that hopefully is part of the education part. Let yeah, people. We know. don't
1: care about points. I could care less. I couldn't care less about points. Um, That's where we, online
3: is a good forum for that, right? You yes. Can really speak about the wine,
1: right? We like the the stories behind the wines, um, and we want things that are made in a you know healthy, sustainable way, and right. um, that stuff's important to us. And we're not necessarily dogmatic about the wines being. You know, quote unquote natural. Right. Um, it's such a broad thing, anyways. Um, some white burgundies that I think are some of the most amazing wines in the world, they use
3: a bunch of sulfur. Right. It's just, it just is what it is. Right. We're not going to like write them off just because they use too much sulfur. So, um, you, you said somewhere you didn't want the shop to feel like it just sells high end wines. Yeah. You know that
1: always. So, we do have some high end wine, honestly. And like, and I've been talking about those wines and selling those wines, drinking those wines for years now. Uh, but I honestly get more excited about like the $20 stuff. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, it's great. Yeah, because like, you know, I love they,
3: finding this stuff. It's so good. Yeah. That's funny because somebody could walk in because they know who you were. They were excited you opened the store. They get a chance to stand with you for 20 minutes, walk out with a case of curated wines. You know, and not an ex- have to spend a ton of money. It's, it's a, great. And then some guy who has no clue. Walks out with the same case, you know, and it just has the same benefit. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's the best place to go to for any of that. So
1: it's 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 fun too because you know we have some of the high end stuff, and uh, you know I, I like those wines obviously. You need them
3: for your client base. Too.
1: Totally, and there's a lot of people in New York City. I mean, there's a lot of people that want those wines, and especially down. I can talk about them all day. So it's it's fun to have them there,
3: but. Now, you have a thing called, it's a very cool thing, and if there's other features, tell me after. Psalm's Corner? You have a lot of sommelier friends, and I I guess after you being on, you know, for the past hour and talking about sommeliers in general, um, these guys kind of know what's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. So, what's the Psalms Corner?
1: So, we have a little, it's really a little section of the store uh, where we feature some wines that are either made by sommeliers, because there's a lot of guys ah, like myself who right. uh, who make wine, like uh, my good friend Thomas Pastushak from The Nomad, Raj Parr, Bobby Stuckey, Richard Betts, a lot, I mean, there's a lot of sommeliers out there now that make wine. So, we've got their wines, um, or it's kind of like the funky wacky you know sommelier nerd out once. right <laughs> so it's, it's it's
3: an exposure to a lot of different types yeah
1: of so it's kind like of like some of the weird stuff that's
3: cool and fun right now do you we're gonna have to wrap up soon but david my engineer is giving me the high sign but david don't forget before we go off the air we have to taste some wine so we're gonna get that in quickly okay um <laughs> Anything else besides Psalm's Corner? I mean, you do education there. Yeah, we have
1: a great uh, area in the back where we host tastings and events, and uh, uh, that's great. And anybody that's interested in that, just you know, visit. So let's the,
3: let's give everyone the vitals here. So the store is Verve Wine. The store is Verve Wine. It's Tribeca, and the address is? 24 Hubert Street. Which is between what and what? It's,
1: uh, it's on Gre- basically Greenwich, between, okay. between Greenwich and Westside Highway.
3: All right. And if and I've been on the site a bunch of times yeah. and it's a terrific site. It's very visual, say, very informative. What's the web address?
1: It's a vervewine.com. So, it's
3: V E R V so wine, one word.
1: Check that out. There's a place to sign up for the email list. I would recommend that. Follow us on social. We do a lot of like fun educational stuff on social. Um, you know, we're we're trying to do all these things
3: that I you know, jabber on about. And by the way, good there's a good chance during the week, mid-afternoon, you have some serious wine needs and inquiries. You call them, and guess who picks up the phone? <laughs> you know, So Dustin, is not going anywhere most yeah. of the day, most of the week. Yeah, I'll be there. All right, so that's Verve Wine in New York City. Um, it's definitely an exciting, uh, terrific place. All right, we're going to wrap the show up quickly, David. We're going to do our weekly wine sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip this week. We're going to taste—I I brought the exact opposite wine of what everyone drinks and thinks. We're going to taste the 2012 Trevaro del Sala from Umbria. So it's an Umbrian wine. It's made by Antonori. It is a blend of 85% Chardonnay, 15% Grechetto. Did I pronounce that right? Grochetto, yeah. Grechetto. This wine in current vintages retail for between 39 49 bucks. Not a cheap wine, not the most expensive. And it's available at better wine stores. So, Trouty, will you uh, pour this around for everybody? We're going to do a quick taste, quick assessment, and we're going to wrap up. David, our engineer, who's mad at me, but once the wine comes out, I, got, I know, we're running long. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about this wine. Dustin, can you tell me anything else about this wine? you know anything about it?
1: Uh, This is my first time trying this wine. Okay, so that's
3: kind of why I brought it in. (laughs) I didn't want to like, oh, what would Dustin be drinking? All right, so it's antinori. It's predominantly Chardonnay, so it'll probably be big. Let's look at color first. You you know, typical Chardonnay. Yeah, it's got
1: a nice kind of golden hue to it.
3: All right, now give me your nose on this.
1: Pretty like uh, ripe baked apple, uh, little apricot. Like some, some dried fruit here, too.
3: Does that tip you off that this is going to be like this big, fruity Chardonnay or it not smells, necessarily? It
1: smells rich and round. Okay. I know you can't really necessarily tell that, but, but it does smell that way. All it's, right. It's got some perfume. You can smell the, uh, you know, some nice toasty wood on there. All right. Let's give it a sip. It's got a little of that lactic-y thing that you get from, uh, from
3: Malolactic. Let's this throw it over the tongue. All right. mouthfeel, medium, rich, compelling. Rich mouthfeel? <laughs> mouthfeel. Like yeah, generally rich, full yeah.
1: Rich? Full okay. rich. Yeah, full rich. All right,
3: now let's it's get Got some
1: nice acidity though too. It's not just a big oily uh, you know, mouth coater. It's got uh, it's got some acid there too.
3: I definitely get the acidity. Yeah. Which you're right cuz it's a round wine, but that acidity cuts through. Right. All right, give me some palate descriptors. Palette descriptors. I mean,
1: I think that uh, that creamy, rich, round, textured. Um, Which fruit impression? Uh, again, baked apple, baked like red apple, uh, baked pear, like a caramelized pear, um, a little bit of a burnt kind of creme brulee kind of feel to it, um, a little vanilla,
3: cinnamon from from the oak. As a lot of the classic descriptors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is pretty, this wine Burgundian at all for an Umbrian uh, wine, or not really? I, I, for me, this
1: feels something more in between, like a, a California wine. And a, The nose reminds me more of California. Right. The palate is a little fresher, so you can kind of tell it's an old-world wine there.
3: Tell me a good wine and food pairing for this. Good food pairing. Oh, man. Pairing.
1: Um, I would get, like, a maybe like a lobster roll
3: or something. That's is, a good one. It's, it's getting warm outside. I would drink a Pepsi with a lobster roll. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> Actually four lobster rolls and <laughs> a Pepsi. Alright, so do we like this wine? Yeah, I think it's it's very high quality.
1: Uh it's not personally like my Style. Style. but I But think it's, it's made well. It's well made. It's it's uh typical for its grape and its place. Does the so Groketto add anything to it? You know, I'm not really maybe that's where some of the freshness and the acidity is coming from. Could be that. Aromatically I'm not picking up but Grochetto yeah. is also a relatively neutral variety on the
3: nose. Um is this wine worth the money or is that a little high? Forty bucks? 37. it tastes, I would say, if it
1: was closer to the, right around the $40 range, I think this is a solid $40 you can get it for bottle. Under 40. Yeah, okay. if it's so creeping shows up to that $50, that's the, no. then I don't think so.
3: All right, so that was the 2012 Trevorrow Della Sala from Umbria. It's by Antonori. It's basically Antonori's um, uh, signature white wine. All right, I want to thank our guest, Dustin Wilson. He told you who he is. He's now over at Verve Wine. Come see me. Come see him. Go <laughs> online. Call. Um, if you have a question, wine happening or event, hit me up at Sam at That's Sam at the Grape Follow us on Facebook. We're backslash the Grape Nation. Instagram, S Ruby. Twitter, Ben Ruby without the S. Um, thanks again to Dustin Thank you to our engineer Our very patient engineer <laughs> David Tattishore. Yeah.
1: Likewise I'm, uh, I'm also pretty active on social So if anybody wants to hit
3: me we'll up on social that. That's fine too um, <laughs> Thank you to everyone at Heritage Radio Dustin You could reach On Instagram yep. At Dustin Wilson MS Correct. At Verve Wine Correct. On Instagram On Twitter Dustin Wilson MS. Same too. Same too.
1: At Verve Wine or at Dustin Wilson MS. And is there anytime. any Facebook play? Uh, I'm not really personally a Facebook guy, but Verve does have a Facebook account. We would love it if you liked us on Facebook. Okay. Yeah.
3: Um, so that's all the stuff. Definitely, you people in New York City, get down there. If you're visiting, get down there. And if you're at a town, enjoy the experience online and try to hook up with Dustin. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you to everyone at Heritage Radio. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation.